ACC hands over the reins to the base, we're still hurting, but we decide we're going to build back better. Sure. What's going on, Refill Team Fairchild? You guys know how this works. The goal of this podcast is to help bring people together. Or it's stories of triumphs and success, or even stories of a little bit of failure or hardship. We share them all. By doing so, we help connect each other to one another. And that's really what this podcast is all about. So let's go ahead and get this episode started. All right, Refuel Team Fairchild, we're back for part two with Miss Horton, our base historian. How are you today, ma'am? Good. So when we talked last, we left off kind of basically Army Air Corps into the Air Force and we had changed the name of, we had officially become Spokane Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. And I know now we're called Fairchild Air Force Base. Was there anything, Was it? What, did we just go straight from Spokane Air Force Base to be named after Mr. Fairchild or? So, no, we didn't. Um, there were um, a couple of different names, but the one that also always makes airmen laugh when they learn about is that towards the end of World War II, Spokane received an unofficial name. Um, At the time, there was a very famous fighter pilot who had the last name of Bong and the first name of Richard, um, who went by the nickname Dick. So his full name was Richard Dick Bong. Um, And he was a heartthrob within the aviation community. A lot of the people who followed military aviation in World War II um, would have, he would have been a household name. Okay. Um, And one of our post office uh, members thought it was just the best idea to rename the post office Bong Post Office here in Spokane. So the base post office became Bong Post Office. Well, as airmen started writing letters home and their families would send letters that would come through Spokane um, and through this particular uh, post office, they'd shorthand it to Bong Air Force Base. Okay. Which means that we slowly morph into an unofficial name of Bong Air Force Base towards the end of World War II. And it's so prevalent that even the airmen working here in the Spokane area at the Spokane Army Air Base are writing on their reports and even in publications that they put out to the general public that this is Bong Air Force Base. (laughs) So at the end of World War II, around 1946, when the 92nd Bombardment Group over in England fully inactivates and their... um, finally wrapping up their higher, stronger, faster era, you see Spokane start to branch out into the maintenance world and as Bong Air Force Base. And then by 1947, the Air Force comes in and comes online, a separate unit from the Army Air Corps, and they get stationed in Spokane. And they look at this Air Force Base and they go, it needs a different name. (laughs) Uh, We can't we can't continue this name. So in the 1950s, they decide to rename the base Fairchild Air Force Base. Okay. So in November of 1950, they formally receive in writing that Fairchild Air Force Base is going to become Fairchild in honor of a Air Force Vice Chief of Staff that died in the Pentagon while he was working, but also was a Washington native. 
So oh, they felt okay. it was appropriate to make a Washington installation named in his honor. And they did all of this stuff in November, but it wouldn't be until the next July wow. that they would actually formally establish Fairchild Air Force Base as the base. And they did this because we change our weapon system out from B-17s okay. to B-36 Peacemakers. By 1947, you have the 92nd Bombardment Wing stand up at Fairchild. Okay. And by 1951, you have Fairchild Air Force Base officially become Fairchild Air Force Base. And from there, Fairchild and the 92nd start this long legacy of excellence that we all talk about, which includes operations in Korea, stations in at Anderson Air Force Base Guam, participation in Operation Big Stick, which wins the 92nd, its first Air Force Outstanding Unit Award. And just to flash forward a little bit, that that Air Force Outstanding Unit Award tradition has gone on so much that this one that we just received is now our 20th Air Force Outstanding Unit Award. Oh, wow. So congratulations, guys. This is number 20. Awesome. Operation Big Stick is really a power projection operation during the latter half of the Korean War to prove that we can project power anywhere in worldwide. And they used those B-36 peacemakers, which at the time was peak innovation, to create a air bridge that goes all the way from Spokane to Japan. Um, and they're basically island island hopping all the way over to Yokota. And it earns them that Air Force Outstanding Unit Award. And back in Spokane, we see our 141st counterparts working on innovation themselves with Project FICON, which is basically proving that a fighter con- uh, con- conveyor can use a, on underneath a B-36, can attach a, what they call parasite carrier underneath, refuel, unattach, and keep going. Okay. Now this was going to be the peak innovation for refueling until the U-2 aircraft came out, and unfortunately this particular type of innovation did not prove concept before the new spy planes called the U-2 came out, and so it they did all of this work and then uh, the B-52s and U-2s and aerial refueling ended up kind of shadowing this huge initiative to be the next great thing. We have all of that going on, and in addition, back home in the States, we're starting to see the development of two-fold security. Now, we all look at the patch today and we see that little Latin phrase at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I don't speak Latin, and I am not going to butcher how to pronounce it if someone wants to pronounce it for me Um, but that phrase has been with us since those b-36s have been around because the b-36s also needed refuelers so we see bombers and refuelers here at fairchild which means two-fold two weapon systems security Unfortunately, in 1994, we did get rid of the bombardment part of our security, but they have since morphed the meaning of that to power projection and global power. Awesome. And the patch you're talking about is our wing patch? Our current wing patch. 
I'm not gonna try to. Oh no, it's fine. Just <laughs> a lot of patches. By saying Greek or Latin wrong. I think almost every squadron patch has some sort of Latin on it. Minus they do. Maybe FSSs. They do. So and I'm supposed to know what they all mean, but I'm the worst at pronouncing Latin. Sure. And I'm not going to butcher that. No worries. At the end of the Korean War. We go into Operation Big Switch because throughout the 1950s, we have a period of very fast, very rapid innovation. Kind of what we're in now. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, and on, in 1956, we realized that our weapon system of the B-36 has now been out-innovated and we need to update. So we participate in Operation Big Switch, which removes the B-36s from base and brings in the B-52s. So that big, huge aircraft that you see in the Heritage Air Park, that big B-52, actually harkens back to its time here at Fairchild Air Force Base because the very first B-52 arrived on base in 1957. Okay. And then, in October of 1957, Sputnik launches. Mm. The space race starts, and the Cold War really starts to grip the United States and the national defense priorities. And we need somewhere to continue 24-7 alert operations just in case Russia attacks us, just in case we need to go to war. Um, Somebody has to be on 24-7 alert ops. They choose none other than Fairchild Air Force Base (laughs) to be the place that, starting in 1958 on January 7th, going all the way to 1991, which is about 33 years, Fairchild Air Force Base remained on 24-7 alert operations 365 days a year. And, like I said in the last uh, episode... We also received those Atlas missiles. Yes. In addition to our bombardment power projection two-fold security mission set. So we had bombers, refuelers, intercontinental ballistics missiles here. And because of all of that, we become the very first 92nd Strategic Aerospace Wing. All right. Our KC-135s arrive in 1958. So all of this is going on and we are really starting to prove to the world that we are a center of excellence. And we get really, really good at how to refuel aircraft in flight and combat. Sure. Um, And Vietnam starts. And when the B-52s get called over to Vietnam, they're called to participate in operations like Young Tiger, which is the entire aerial refueling of combat air crews within Southeast Asia, but our B-52s are not far behind being called for Operation Arc Light, Linebacker 1, and Linebacker 2, which are some of the most well-known operations in Vietnam. Now, this is also, in the 1960s, is also the time that we lose the strategic aerospace mission set. The Atlas missiles come offline, but we realize that we need something else here in Spokane. And so the Air Force gives Fairchild the 3636 Combat Crew Training Group, which we know today as the 336 Training Group, which operates the Air Force Searside. Yes. 
So the Searside has been around since the 1960s. Okay. And all of that's going on. The 1970s hits. We see strategic deterrence become a priority. 24-7 ground alert is still going on. We're still actively participating in the Vietnam conflict. And our 141st National Guard transitions from fighters to KC-135 tankers, and they move to Fairchild. (laughs) It's everything consolidates all around the 70s. Now that everybody's here in the 1980s, we have the eruption of Mount St. Helens. Yes. Which is always a fun story to tell because at the time, there wasn't really a precedent for how to prepare yourself or how to train for a volcanic eruption. Sure. And on the day of the 1980s eruption, we here at Fairchild had planned a massive air show. Of course. And during this massive air show, all of the innovative aircraft and weapon systems from all over the United States were here in Spokane getting ready to go and do all of their cool tricks and show off. And then about three hours before the event start is set to start, everybody's already here. People are still waiting on the flight line, getting ready to go. Mount St. Helens erupts. We're called. We're told that it's headed our way. The base commander, who is hopeful, says, let's just wait it out a couple hours, see if it'll actually reach us. Sure. Uh, we'll, we'll postpone things just in case. Well, within a few hours, the ash is already covering the flight line. It's starting to get hard to see. Sure. And they realize we're going to have to cancel the air show. Yeah. We've got to get these planes out of here before the ash touches down. Otherwise, any of the planes that are here will be stuck here for good. Um, until we can get this volcanic ash out. So the base essentially becomes paralyzed along with the local area for a few weeks as our airmen learn how to combat the elements. Um, The first lesson they learn is do not mix volcanic ash with water because when you do that, you get cement. So a number of these uh, facilities that you see may have little buildups of cement or concrete that's a little unexplainable and that probably harkens back to that facility's time as a facility around the Mount St. Helens eruption. (laughs) And the 24-7 alert system is still on ground alert while the eruption's taking place. And at the time, our bug out plan didn't account for having to leave the base in the event of a volcanic eruption. And our plan specifically stated that we, if we left with the ground alert force, the ground alert force would go all together, bombers and refuelers. But what we had not considered is that Fairchild was so big and it was such a huge center for aviation that there wasn't another installation that could hold the entire alert force at capacity along with their aircraft as well. Um, So it took a couple days for us to basically petition with Strategic Air Command to let us separate the ground alert. Okay. And we ended up sending those forces to a couple of different bases. Um, I want to say some went to Alaska, some went to California, but it took 
about five days for us to figure that plan out. And now Mount St. Helens would erupt two more times that year. Jeez. But the airmen had learned their lesson with that first eruption, that they had gotten the protocol down to to the detail and our archive actually has like a play-by-play book now okay of what exactly they learned all of the lessons that you could take away from it and how how to treat volcanic ash and how not to treat it yeah um so most of the 80s is spent recouping from that event and then we enter into the 90s and we see operation the gulf war operations desert storm desert shield and the rise of saddam hussein sure now in the 90s the air force also decided that it was going to restructure so what we had known and loved as strategic air command with its wonderful motto of peace is our profession stands down now i i will preface this with a lot of the veterans that you will meet will be very on point with our motto during the strategic air command years was peace is our profession that actually comes from them fighting strategic air command to make sure that that was the case because the original motto that strategic air command offered was war is our profession peace is our product and a lot of the airmen thought that that was a little too war happy and it made them come across as if they were excited to go and fight and go to war and to cause all of the damage that comes along with warfare so the airmen decided that they were going to petition and fight so that it would be known forever as peace is our profession and so strategic air command eventually said all right we'll do it and now when you see anything from that time frame of the strategic air command years a lot of the veterans will still wear their baseball cap that says it Um, if you get that motto wrong those veterans will probably correct you and that is because they worked very hard to make sure that they were not remembered as war fighters only that's awesome so with that being said back into the 90s were when strategic air command stood down sure um, we have the stand up of the major commands we know today. So Air Combat Command and Air Mobility Command are who took over the force at Fairchild. Now our bombers went to Air Combat Command mm-hmm. because of their mission set and our refuelers went to Air Mobility Command because of their mission set. And for a time the base was divided okay. between the two major commands sure and as you can imagine the paperwork surrounding who's doing what where everything's going and why they're doing it was absolutely crazy and a lot of confusion was going on and they quickly realized by 1994 this was not working we need to separate these forces because we cannot have two major commands fighting for control of one military force so in preparation for the big switch over where air mobility command would take the reins from everybody we once again decide you know what let's do an air show <laughs> and this is nothing against air shows this is just how our history goes but we once again decide let's do an air show and the base starts prepping for the very last air show that will include b-52s okay um this was in june of 1994 unfortunately 
right before the air show was set to go off, a airman who had been let go of the military uh, got his hands on his psychology report and didn't like what it had to say. So he decided to take a weapon onto base, walk over to the med group, find his physician, and open fire. And it caused mass damage over at the med group. And it's one of the really large case studies that we have on active shooters. And a senior airman who was working security forces at the time was actually riding his bike around the area and heard the call go off. And senior airman Brown rushed to the scene, analyzed the situation, realized that he was going to have to take a shot at this airman in order to protect everyone else. And he took the shot, set a number of records with how well he handled that situation, but it ended up leaving 22 or 23 members injured with five members killed. And it put the spotlight on Fairchild for that week. However, knowing how low we were at that point, the base commander made the decision to continue on with airshow training because we needed something to make us build resilience back up. However, the B-52 pilot who was planned to fly the very last B-52 that we had here at Fairchild took off from the airfield and started to bank towards the tower um, around over the airspace where the Searside is. Sure. A number of things occurred. He ended up inverting the aircraft vertical and could not bail out of it and crashed directly into the ground, which meant that this was the second major fatality that we had in the span of five days here at Fairchild, and it is known as our worst week in our history. And that is one of the very last events to occur right before we head into AMC only. So the next month, on July 1st, 1994, ACC hands over the reins to the base. We're still hurting, but we decide we're going to build back better. Sure. And we're going to put all of our efforts into this new millennium and facing significant challenges and innovation and facing them head on and proving that we can be the center of excellence that we know today. And going all the way back to our World War II history of being the the organization that flies higher, stronger, and faster. We go into the new millennium. We participate in a number of air patrol operations, refueling them. And then 9-11 happens. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting is that Fairchild steps and they prove to the entire world that we are the center of excellence for aerial refueling on that one day. It's really cool to see the archive collection that we have on 9-11 because we were able to actually get a hold of the unclassified version of the command post logs. Okay. And we have a play-by-play of what happened that day including the the alerts that they had to send out that this is a real-world event. And Fairchild managed to be the point for Operation Noble Eagle that refueled all of the combat air patrol 
pilots in the northwestern region of the United States. They also were the, the unit that was called on to get the FEMA director from Washington State to Washington, D.C. in order to create an emergency action plan with the president. Oh. Now, that was the 92nd, making sure that he got there. Um, not only that, about a month later, they realized that we're going to have to go into war for Afghanistan, and we need somewhere that the refuelers can set up shop before they go overseas. And we stand up the Northwestern Tanker Task Force. And that task force means that all of the KC-135s stop at Fairchild before they go over and start doing the island hopping to get over into Afghanistan. Sure. Which means that the 92nd holds the very distinguished ability to say that we participated in the very first and very last aerial refueling sortie of Operation Enduring Freedom Afghanistan. Oh, cool. That was our airmen. So they continue on with Operation Enduring Freedom Afghanistan, New Dawn, Inherent Resolve, Freedom Sentinel, and today, Allies Refuge. And these are every single day, our airmen are going out, innovating, they're going out, they're sh acting, showing that we deserve the namesake that we have proved time and time again, that we will be higher, stronger, faster, and fame's favorite few. That's awesome. It's kind of crazy because you go to all these bases and Sergeant Fields has been to a couple and you've been to Herbie. So if you've ever gone to a commander's call, we always hear, you know, you guys are the best airmen in the Air Force. So when we hear it so many times, we're like, thanks, you know, we, we know you're trying to build our morale. But how many times can we hear that at different locations before you start to wonder? They're just, they're just all telling us that and they're just trying to keep us pumped, but at least at least give us something different and that's different getting to hear the story of how Fairchild's come online all the different ways we participated over the the decades from the depot and air aviation and having our maintainers and then the, the two-fold security and everything else going from AC I didn't even realize and it makes sense now that we are ACC and mm -hmm. and AMC at the same time to just becoming AMC. I didn't even really realize about the B-52 crashing. I, I knew about the story about what happened at the medical clinic mm -hmm. back in the 90s. But just hearing how we've, and I, I she knows. I, I'm trying not to use the word resilient because I think it's overplayed and as soon as people hear that word, they get kind of over it. But just the ductility of how our airmen have overcome all these different obstacles throughout the decades and how we'll have to continue to. But hearing up into kind of where our legacy leaves the next couple of generations is really, really cool. So I like to tell airmen that it really, what it boils down to is that Spokane, our city leaders, our tenant units, our 92nd air refueling wing that we love so much, they've developed a culture of excellence. Yes. It's not just that we're the center of excellence in aerial refueling. It is, we started out with the intent of being leaders in aviation. And we have continued that culture and that, that excellence since, ever since. Um, and the airmen that come into work every day, whether it be the airmen that came in during World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Afghanistan, or the ones that come into Fairchild through the front gate today, they pass the torch to the next generation. 
and every day they come into work, even if it's the snowiest day and it's hard to get out of bed sure. and they do not want to come in, they're writing history. And it's hard to think about what you're doing that way, but that's what my job is, is to make sure that all of the complexities of the work that you do every single day it's captured in a way that we can preserve it for the long term so that when you have grandkids or your grandkids have grandkids and they want to know about what their airmen did during the 2020 pandemic, there's going to be a record of it and there's going to be proof that you did this thing. However, I should preface that with the history office is one person. And I am responsible for maintaining all of your history. So if I don't know about it, I can't prove that it happened later. And a lot of what I do when I talk to airmen is I ask them, even if it's something silly, like you won the maintenance Olympics and you want it on record <laughs> that you won this event sure. in the maintenance Olympics, you have to let me know. Even if it's as simple as sending me an email, putting a picture in there and saying, I want it in. That way I know that our airmen feel passionately enough about it, that it's a big topic, sure. and we can add it in, even if it's just a simple chronology entry of airmen so-and-so won this event and set the record for this squadron. That's awesome. That will then go into your heritage collection. So when your grandkids or their grandkids want to know what you were famous for and someone goes in and searches your name into the computer system what will kick back is that photo that you sent me your name and a little description of how you got that title which i should preface with don't send it to me if you're not 100 percent sure that you want your grandkids to see it there are some photographs in the archive that I don't think anyone thought were going to be seen by the next generation. Um, and fashion has changed, sure. so I also preface that with, um, if you're not 100% sure that that's what you want in the history, don't send it to me. <laughs> what high high raised jeans are coming back in style now? Mm -hmm. We're not getting out of the. I don't think anything's gonna beat the the high tube socks and the short shorts of the Gulf War. Sure. Um, those deployment photos are quite fun to look through. Um, every once in a while, there are some that I feel like I should probably just put in the back corner <laughs> so I know that nobody else will put a content advisory warning on them. Um, but going back to what I was saying. Um, we have developed this ethos here at Fairchild, which I have never seen before in another unit anywhere, that basically connects us to the entire lifespan of the Air Force as a whole, from the time that aviation started, to proving the concept of aviation, to proving the concept of bombardment, and today, proving the concept of refueling. We are innovators, we are airmen, and we are paving the way for the next generation to make sure that that history is recorded and to help them not make the same mistakes sure. that we're making. Um, those lessons learned have come in very handy to a number of our commanders who go through the archive when they have exercises or events that they wanna make sure that they don't repeat something, um, but it's also there for you to inspire you. There might be something in the in the base archive that proves that 
they started a project and they didn't finish it, but it's a good project, so let's finish it now. Sure. These are all things that I help squadrons with. In addition to that, I can, I regularly brief squadrons on their specific heritage. Nice. So when I talk about heritage collections, it's literally a giant folder on every squadron, no matter if it's a force support squadron, a communication squadron, a aviation squadron, no matter their mission set, there's a collection on them. And I have the ability to trace you back into history from the time that you started to today, improve how your mission today connects with your history yesterday and connects with your mission in the future. And that is basically the perspective you need and you should um, strive for when making those decisions for the next generation. That's awesome. Where are you located? I am in the headquarters building, second floor, all the way down at the end of the hall past PA. Okay. So you're on the left side of the hallway with them? Just Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm past Chief Guzman's office. I'm literally in the corner of the building, um, but that is because I maintain the base archive, and that's where the archive is as well. Okay. How big is how big is the archive? It is not very big. No? It's, uh, it's smaller than this room, uh, but it is about a closet full of history filled from floor to ceiling. Um, it is not as extensively built as the Indiana Jones collection, but there is enough stuff that you could probably call it the Indiana Jones room. Awesome. So I enjoy it. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you if they wanted to have you come maybe talk to their unit, their squadron, even their office? If you want or need to get a hold of me, you can send me an email at 92arw.ho at us.af.mil, or you can call my office at 5953. Awesome. I think I think there will be... I think sometimes we forget how, how we contribute to the mission. Like we mentioned in the last episode, it's easier for maintainers and for our operations individuals to know exactly what we're doing. We're going up in the air and we're refueling other aircraft, and then we come home, and then we fix the planes that they break. But for everybody else, FSS, comm squadron, maybe even contracting... LRS. LRS maybe feels it a little more because they got POL and they're supplying us with all of our equipment. But I think sometimes it's hard to understand how we fit into the mission and how we make everything work. We can say that, yes, you showing up to work, make sure that someone gets paid. And if they're getting paid, they're not thinking about it while they're on the line trying to fix the aircraft. But there's got to be more to it. And they probably have done really cool missions within their unit, the whole legacy of what they've had to offer. Oh, absolutely. So... I know I am already going to reach out to you to get with FSS so you can come brief my airmen over over at a lunch and learn that we're just starting up. Okay. But uh, before we before we end it, I want to also touch on Blue Star because you mentioned it in the last one, but I just want to make sure we're recapturing it as we get closer to Patri- or pa- mili- Armed Forces Day. Armed Forces Day. So Blue Star Museum days are days that the local museum community allow military members, their families, all airmen, active duty reserve, anyone who has a military ID card, to get into the museum for free. So the one that we are speaking with right now about their Blue Star Days, which will last between Armed Forces Day and Labor Day, is the Northwestern Museum of Arts and Culture. Now, I should 
mention that the Mac is a Smithsonian affiliate. That's awesome. So they are very, very cool collections. I went and saw them yesterday, and I highly recommend it if you get a chance to go. Um, their next exhibit that they're bringing in, I do not know if they've announced yet, so I'm not going to announce it, but I will say that it will be extremely family-friendly, and it will be a super fun event to go to over the summer. Um, so if you are interested, you can either contact my office or contact the Mac directly. They do have a very cool website. Okay. And they, their museum days, as I mentioned, will last from... Armed Forces Day until Labor Day, um, and I highly recommend going and seeing it if you can. Especially for the the individuals, maybe younger kids. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely going to be young kid family friendly. Not that teenagers can't enjoy it, because I know many adults that would enjoy this content as well. Yes. <laughs> Is there anything you kind of like to leave the audience with, or? Mm, I don't know. I, I've spoken a lot today. <laughs> I guess the last thing I want the airmen to know, and the one thing that I hope that they all learn through all of the briefings that I give and all of the content that I publish, is that there is somebody watching their history. And that every day they come to work, even if they can't feel important, there's somebody there writing down the legacy that they're leaving. So if you can't see it, there is somebody watching to make sure it's recorded so that your history and what you've accomplished will be known for generations to come. That's my job. That's why I'm here. And I love it so much. And I would never give it up for the world. But that also means that every single airman, oh my goodness, every single airman that comes into work is important to me. And I want to talk to you. Even if it's just a simple conversation of coming in and telling me what you're doing that day. I want to know. So stop by the office and let me know. Stop by the office and just come have a simple conversation that lets the entire Air Force know all of the cool stuff you're doing. I really appreciate you spending some time with us today and just kind of breaking down some of the history that we all kind of just take for granted, I think. And it's not that we don't find it fascinating. I, I found both episodes quite fascinating. I think Sergeant Fields in the Corner has also found it very, very, very interesting. So we really appreciate you sharing your time. We appreciate what you do. It's one of those jobs that a lot of people don't know about, I want to say, too, because it's usually a civilian-ran job, mm -hmm. and you're kind of in the corner past all the scary people on base. Usually you're only going up there if, if you have to. Well, hopefully you're not in trouble. I get a lot more access when I'm the fly on the wall rather than fully <laughs> inserting myself into the room. Sure. So I tend to fly under the radar for the very specific reason of capturing those conversations that people may not necessarily think should go on the record. I am listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, we really do appreciate it because you're helping contribute to our legacy too and making sure that future generations know what we accomplished while you're during your time here. Mm -hmm. So thank you again for coming out and hanging out with us. And for my listeners, you guys have a spectacular day. All right, team, that wraps up another episode of Refill Team Fairchild. If you guys have any stories you'd like to share on the podcast or maybe know anyone that does have stories that they'd like to share, please let us know. You can reach us at 92-foxtrot-sierra-sierra.foxtrot-sierra-delta-papa at Fairchild Charlie Alpha Alpha at us.af.mil. And until next time, we'll see you then.